Other people use alcohol. Other people use drugs. Other people use whatever. I self-medicate. I self-soothe with being an athlete, running up a hill, snatching a barbell, deadlifting something, running, biking, sprinting, this whatever. This is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that Gosh, man, that was, was a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm Angelo Kelly, and I'm your host. On this episode, I am joined by Sean Fantuzzi. Sean is a personal trainer at Lifetime currently. He is also a former strength coach at schools like Penn State, Loyola, St. Francis, and the University of North Dakota. So he's definitely got a wide background in the strength and conditioning field. Now he is currently focusing on bringing that athlete performance to the general population. One of the things that just really struck me about Sean is how knowledgeable he is, but also the way he's able to articulate things that are really science heavy in a way that everyone can understand. So on the episode, we dove into breath work, training uh, barefoot, how he trained his sports teams at the University of North Dakota and pretty much everything in between. So I learned a ton from this one and I hope you guys do as well. It's funny, like the older I get, I'll start giving people books as gifts and it, oh, it seems 100%. like it seems so corny, but I'm like, you I need to read same. this book. I did the same thing. It was, um, what book was it? The Almanac of Novel. The Almanac by Novel Robin Camp. Amazing. Uh, I probably gave five copies out to just people that uh, I really have a lot of respect for. I would just send it. Um, and then a buddy of mine in Chicago, we did like this book club thing. We were sending each other books back and forth a little bit here and there, which have is you, a lot of fun. Have you ever read Osho? Osho? Mm-mm. You should read him. Osho? Yeah. O-S-H-O? O-S-H-O. Okay. Yeah, he's like a... He, there's actually a documentary on Netflix. He was like a guru. He came from came from India. Things got super weird, actually. But his books are... He talks about presence and yoga and breathing and all that stuff. Oh, you would definitely be into it. That's dope. Yeah, man. I was looking on Twitter before before we got started. I don't have Twitter, but I was looking at yours, and I'm like, ah, oh, my brain is going in so many different places because you have such a good Twitter account. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. I just honestly... And I, I'll say this forever i am a product of everyone i've ever spoken to i've ever followed uh, i never have an original thought i don't think you can have an original thought anymore there's too many things out there right now and if someone has an original thought it's just from an original thought that got twisted and like molded differently i i don't it's not that i don't think there is ever an original thought anymore but it's god that's gotta be tough to actually like think that creatively yeah, you have to like go out in the woods and sit there for yeah. two days straight, oh not talk to anybody, and then yeah. you might have an original thought. And then someone probably already read it somewhere else, and yeah. Yeah, there's so many good resources out there, and I think sometimes it's dangerous, and sometimes it's an it's a great thing, because you can almost... I've overdone the self-help at points where yeah. I just read book after book after book, and then I'm like, all right, I'm not applying any of this. Uh, dude, you would get a lot out of simply reading like two or three books every like every month like um how to win friends influence people is a gold standard book of mine so is mindset by carol dweck and atomic habits by james clear if you read those like read one book in january one book in february march wash rinse repeat the rest of the year that's probably more effective than reading 12 books or reading 60 books in a year more than likely because you're going to take away a lot more from those three that I consider that I consider to be like gold standards. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this conversation is going to be surrounded with those simple things. Mm -hmm. There's not much revolutionary stuff that we're going to talk about today, but a lot of the, the habits that you have and, and the coaching experience relates back to doing simple really well. Yeah. Like that. So yeah, let's just talk about your uh, your strength and conditioning background, and then we'll kind of fast forward into present day. Sounds good. Um, so I started 
I figured out that I wanted to be in strength and conditioning super late in the game in the sense that my senior year of college is really when I dove into the quote unquote lifting world. I like worked out here and there. Um, Monday, Wednesday, I think I worked out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I played basketball, Tuesday, Thursday, um, Wednesday was leg day. Um, and when my buddy and I went to the on-campus Penn State gym, we are like, oh, we don't want to be here. Let's just do some bench. Let's just get yoked and have more fun. Uh, let's make those sleeves fit a little bit better. But once I got towards the end of senior year is really when I started like paying attention to fitness and strength. And then I started getting – my roommate at the time played basketball for Penn State – so I was like, hey, when you're done, because I didn't want there to be a conflict of interest, when you're done with basketball, will you ask your strength coach if I could just come in and shadow like what team lifts, team conditioning looks like? Worked out um, for about two months at the end of my senior year, which was 2011. Um, he let me just shadow, just come into the weight room, basically stand in the corner and watch. Every now and then he let me run like a warm-up circuit or a core circuit if I felt comfortable. But I was like, these guys are tall. These guys are tall. They play Division One basketball. I don't want to break them. Like I'm not doing anything to mess them up. Um, and then he asked me if I was staying around for the summer. I said, well, now I am. So stayed there. I got really lucky in the sense that they were able to bring me on as like a very small role, like a wage pay Here's some food. Here's um, here's some traveling you can do with us too. So I got to travel with women's basketball at Penn State. Awesome group of people. And I got to train them a little bit, which was a great introduction to strength and conditioning. And then I think I was there for two, almost three years. I got my graduate assistantship at St. Francis, spent some time there, met my wife there, which is why I consider little small Loretto, Pennsylvania, a gold mine. Uh, after that, um, went to Loyola University of Maryland as a coach. And from there is where I got my most, well, my last job at the University of very tropical North Dakota. <laughs> Spent three years in that place. And the strength and conditioning world is super tough. Like, Unreal. you see, um, People working for free, people moving across the country, basically at the drop of a hat if you get an opportunity. What's it like being in that field? Is it as cutthroat as it seems like on the outside? A thousand percent. Like I would never have thought I would have moved to North Dakota. And I've been on a number of interviews in my life. I can't even tell you how many cover letters, resumes I've sent out. I know on my external hard drive back in my place, I have a ton of them still saved. Um, but yeah, the supply of coaches wanting to get into it off the charts, the demand of positions, mm -mm. like it's not there. So, and if you look online, if you look on like the now hire, like indeed or now hirings, you almost need to have, you pretty much need to have a master's degree to get an internship, which is crazy. Yeah, and there's there's really no other field besides like trades where you're gonna do an apprenticeship for a year or two, but like that's the only field that you're going into, and it's just like, hey, you're you're gonna work for free. That's yeah. a that's a requirement. Yeah, you have no life for a lot of days. It's 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 less commonplace. I think I want to hope it's less commonplace now because I think people are starting to understand like can't just do that to interns anymore like when i was an intern i i hate to say it but when i was an intern it was brutal i was there from sometimes five in the morning depending on how early people had like conditioning or lifts to five six seven p.m i got a little bit of time in there to lift but even then it's more technically applied research into what how i want to be able to build my programming for but it was fun. It was fun. I will admit, I was lucky enough to be a part of a group of interns at Penn State that was some of the cooler people across the country. Um, but it was tough. Long days. Uh, a lot of just 
chocolate milks, um, a lot of honey stinger snacks, uh, and trail mix as meals. How do you stand out there? Like, what do you have to do if everybody's working 10, 12 hours a day, everyone's there all the time? Like, what did you do personally to kind of separate yourself from everybody else? I, I mean, I wasn't a very strong person. If you're strong, it helps. I was not very strong at that time. Um, but what I did do really well was I learned and adapted a lot and I was able to change a lot of stuff on the fly. So when I think a lot of the coaches at Penn State, when I was able to run a small group for them, um, I adapted to injuries. I adapted to the different styles of athletes and how they learned some, um, their learning skills completely different from athlete to athlete. So you got to coach them differently from athlete to athlete which that's kind of what I brought to my current job at Lifetime. Everyone's a little bit different. Everyone learns a little bit different. So you got to coach them a little bit different. Yeah. And I uh, did some stalking on the internet. You had a psychology degree, so I'm sure uh, that helps with it too. I never thought I would actually be using my psych degree, but here I am using it more often than I use my uh, kinesiology degree. So, so, okay. So you're at North Dakota. What's I, what's the experience like there? Cold. Uh, no, it's, it was good. It was when I first took the job, uh, it was primarily men's basketball and with women's soccer as my kind of second tier sport. Um, but I learned more from working with women's soccer than I ever thought I would. Um, I then became a fan of the sport. I dove into the aerobic nature of the sport. I started to understand, um, your general muscular endurance and what is needed for that sport and I fell I fell in love with coaching in a like I don't want to put this I fell in love with coaching in a bigger type of like setting in a more broad spectrum setting I was so used to um, being with basketball from my other schools that I worked at that I was very closed in on this is how you create a better athlete and just train them like a basketball player. Like, no, that's not. Like, you can marry other sports trainings in with soccer, in with basketball, in with football. And I really started to focus on movement as opposed to just um, trying to get people stronger. Like, let's get people stronger with locomotive skills, motor learning control, being able to hold different positions, being able to be fast from those positions. How can we sprint faster? How can we move better? How can we create better athletes by creating better movers? Uh, those are some of the things I started really diving into whenever I was at North Dakota. And I was lucky enough to have a facility that allowed me to do so. And when you get a new sport, is it is it like almost intimidating when you get a sport maybe you haven't done some research on and it's like you're you know, you get assigned women's soccer essentially. And it's like, all right, now I have to figure out what they need. Yeah. I mean, I had to learn a lot of new rules just from a sport. I had to learn what offsides in soccer meant, which still uh, confuses a lot of people. Uh, but now I know exactly what offsides is, which is a conversation starter. Um, but no, it is intimidating at first because you don't know. And it's always at that point you want to, know exactly what you're talking about and you kind of want to feel like you're coming in like oh I know everything I need to know like no you are a sponge like failure is good let's learn some new stuff let's go in and ask a lot of questions so whenever I got to North Dakota and I started working with men's basketball I knew what that culture felt like I, I've been in the weight room with uh, Penn State basketball Loyola basketball, St. Francis basketball. I knew what a basketball culture felt like. I had no idea what a soccer culture felt like. So my first couple times in the weight room, when I first got there, I met with their captains and I asked them, I was like, what do you guys like to do? What's worked well for you in the past? What hasn't? What has been downfalls uh, over the last couple of years? Thankfully, the last couple of years, when I got there, they had just finished their fourth year of a losing season in a row. I think they had three conference wins in four years, which is not good at all. So I was lucky in the sense that when I got there, they wanted 
a lot of change. Um, so I sat down and I was like, okay, well, this is kind of what I want to see from a culture standpoint. And I want to make sure I adapt my culture standard to yours because with a lo- with coming off multiple losing seasons, let's get a new culture, but let's get it the right way. Let's get what you guys want. They're like, cool. So we changed a lot. And when you're a strength coach, like you got to think that people aren't coming into the weight room. That's not game day. Like this is supplement. This is outside of what we're actually in school and playing the sport to to be. This is this is on top of their practice schedule, their study hall, all that stuff. Yeah, um, I'm. I was very much a, a complimentary role model uh, to a lot of them, but at the same time, I got to see them a lot. Uh, especially in the off season. So I would spend close to every Monday through Friday with the girls uh, and the guys for basketball as well. Every, every single day we would do something, whether it be some conditioning, some speed work, some lifting, some regen work, something on those lines, just so that we're, we're getting that little by little every day. Um, and it kept me on the same page from a recovery standpoint with them as well. I was learning what, how they recover well, what's a little too much for them, what, how do I back off, how do I push? Um, so that way, when season comes around um, and they have high stressor days, I can pair my high stressor days with that so that when they have low stressor days on the field, I can also pair it with low stressor days. So we have a true undulating model of high stress, low stress, so they're actually recovering. If they're always, if they're having a high stress day on the field or on the court and I give them low stress in the weight room and then the next day they have low stress on the court and I give them high stress, they're always at the same stress levels. We're never actually truly recovering. So I'm going to double di- or double dip on high stress so that way when it's low stress days, they're tr- truly recovering, which made for a better practice plan, which allowed me to lift them more often in a microdosing style. So we would, in-season soccer, in-season girls soccer, we were practicing four days a week, depending on high, low, whatever. Uh, But we would lift every single day. Some days were more higher-intensity lifts. Some days were just more like, hey, power-focused. You rip a two two cleans at 75%, hit some... Uh, some drop jumps, a little sprint afterward. If that feels pretty good, maybe two pull-ups, you're good. But like, let's, let's get in there. Let's feel some external load. Let's move it a little bit and see if we can't stay uh, aggressive, see if we can't stay bouncy, springy, and feel good for the, uh, for the field. Is that something that's new, like the pairing the high stress and low stress? Yeah. Because I, I would think it would be the opposite. More often than not, it was as I grew through the, in the field, it was the opposite. It was high stress on the court or field, low stress in the weight room. They would be like exhausted. Now, there are days where they're like completely smoked. I'm just like, cool, go home. Like, I, I can't get anything out of you today. Like, let's not burn a candle that's already burnt to the, burnt to the wick or burnt to the bottom of the wick, whatever. Um, and I was able to kind of see that if more often than not, when people come into a weight room and they're just kind of quiet and not talky and chatty, I would think something's wrong. If they're talking and chatting, like right before we're warming up, cool. They seem like they were more ready to go than if they weren't. And that's kind of how I gauged, uh, whether it was going to be a good day or a bad day. I love that. Like we're looking at all the data and we're talking about the whoop and the aura ring before this. And it's like, if they talk a little bit more, they're probably more recovered. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's simple in that sense. Like let's get them to have a little bit of fun. Chances are our central nervous system will start to ramp up a little bit if they're having fun. So that's why I transitioned away from using a whistle so much as far as like starting speed or conditioning drills. Um, I, I did have a whistle. My wife at the time, my fiance, got me a whistle when I was a coach. And 
there's there were, I remember the time I put my whistle back in my drawer at North Dakota and I closed the drawer and I never took it out again. Um, even though it had like Coach Sean on it. Thank you, Maggie, uh, for getting me that. Uh, but no, I decided not to be a whistle whistle coach anymore. It was great. That's interesting. Yeah, it was really good. So, okay, so you you talked about before that you're at Lifetime now. When you when you're coming up the ranks in strength and conditioning, this ideally looks like you're climbing the ladder, and everything from my perspective is like you're on the exact right track. So, what makes you get out of that and into the corporate world? Um, mainly it was time for my wife and I to leave North Dakota. Um, I spent three awesome years up there and I, when I asked her to move up with me, I knew that it was, I I knew there was going to be a short period of there. Both of us are from Pennsylvania. Um, this is our home, um, 22 hour, a 22 hour drive for our parents to see us or a connecting flight for them is just super stressful. Um, we knew if we ever wanted to like start a family, we wouldn't be doing it out here either. And the career of a strength and conditioning coach bounces around from location to location a lot. And I didn't really want that necessarily. Um, more credit to the people that are, that have stayed in a specific location for a long period of time, how they did it. I don't know, but they did it very well. They're legends in the field, in my opinion, and good for them. They, they have to have an unbelievable support system to be able to do that. Unbelievable. Um, but Maggie, my wife, got an opportunity back in uh, just outside of Philadelphia. I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's roll the dice. So moved back. I started talking with a couple um, places around the area. Talked with a couple guys at UPenn, Villanova, um, no opportunities. It's tough. Strength and conditioning, very limited opportunities. Didn't work out. And then a friend of ours actually recommended, why don't you work at Lifetime? I didn't know what Lifetime was at first. Didn't know it was the resort that it is. Um, and I didn't necessarily really want to be a personal trainer. I didn't, didn't think that was my route. But worked out to be one of the better decisions I've ever made. And now I'm just training athletes just on a different level. I actually have a couple high school athletes that I train right now. I get to dive back into some of my strength and conditioning stuff that I did um, pre, pre-move back from North Dakota. And then I also have a couple people that are 70, 70 plus years old that I'm training pretty much exactly like that, just on a scaled version of it. Yeah, and that's one thing that you said that uh, stuck with me a couple of weeks ago that you said everyone's an athlete yeah. and everyone who you're training you're training them for life. Yeah. I mean, we think about your everyday life. You like, you have to go upstairs. You have to sit down, you have to stand up, you have to pick stuff off the ground. Um, chances are you're probably walking at times faster than others. You go for a little run outside. Can you push that? Can you go a little harder? Um, like I just had, like I just had a client of mine that did a week long trip to Utah. Um, 71 years old, tore his Achilles like the week of quarantine starting tore his Achilles uh rehabbed it and reconditioned it and we me and a couple other people uh who I worked with helped him get back to the fact that he was able to do this 50 mile hiking trip with his daughter uh without any issues any problems he's running he is playing pickleball with me that's his conditioning like how much fun would that be at 71 years old to be able to play pickleball and call that your conditioning for the day? Cool. Next up is spike ball. I, th- I think that's more, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Essentially, like that's the life I want to live in, a very active lifestyle. When we were out in Tucson, there was, uh, there was like a rock that I had to climb up to get on top. It was like sunset, like most beautiful view and that's one thing I thought of. Like, if I wasn't fit, if I didn't do the things that I do, I wouldn't be able to climb up this rock. Mm-hmm. And as I mean, I'm 27, so it's not like I'm getting getting too old right now. But like, those are the things that I want to do when I'm 50. Like, I want to climb that fucking rock and be able to see that same view 
when I'm 50 or 60 than right now. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people who can't do that. I never want to like, I forget who, I forget who said this to me, but they said, I never want to question if I like, I never want to be asked, Oh, do you want to play badminton or do you want to play softball? Be like, probably shouldn't with my uh with my hip or something like that. I never want to like that to be across my mind. I always want to be like, let's go. I absolutely mm-hmm. let me do that athletic endeavor because to me at this point in my life, being athletic means so much to me. It's it's how I self medicate. Like other people use alcohol, other people use drugs, other people use whatever. I self-medicate, I self-soothe with being an athlete, running up a hill, snatching a barbell, deadlifting something, running, biking, sprinting, whatever, playing softball. Yeah, and you have some, I guess you would say unconventional methods of training. What's what's just like a typical conversation look like with a client? Like, hey, we're in this for the long haul. It's not like you're going to come in here and PR your back squat on day one. Like, what's that kind of intro look like? As far as based off their goals or based off what I want to do with them? Say both. Say say if I'm coming to you, I'm uh, not me, but like 50 years old, mm-hmm. um, haven't worked out in a while, might have some back pain or whatever. What's that conversation look like? I'm... Um, pretty much asking them like okay when did it start do you know how it started and then what do your hobbies include um because if your hobbies include golf then that's an easier conversation like i know that i know that sport i know what fatigues during that sport i know the motions that you need to have a good swing um but if you don't really have any athletic hobbies, that's a difficult conversation for me to have. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to get off our ass. And we're actually going to move. So I hope you are ready to sweat a little bit because you're going to. Um, but it, it's, it, it goes off of baseline testing that I like um, from a movement perspective. I watch them walk on a treadmill. I kind of see their foot and how it, it more than likely collapses or if it swings out around. Um, I see how they move in a step-up fashion. I see how they pick something up off the ground, more than likely just a kettlebell. Um, and then I put them on either a bike or a rower and see how much power they can put out. And then I give them a little homework. I'm like, all right, got to do this for... 20 minutes and see how far you get chances are that's with the bike okay so So it's very simple in the beginning and it and it sounds like a lot of the things that you're doing are based off what the client or athlete wants to do Mm -hmm. yeah if they can move a little bit better then they could probably live a better life it's if you optimize the way muscles interact with one another and kind of in a specific order, then you're probably going to have less pain. So for example, if your body can't get into good hip flexion, hip extension, you will have problems just moving, like walking. And that's basic goal. Number one, let's walk. Let's, let's get up off the ground and let's walk. Let's do those two things. Um, if you're low back or your hamstring is compensating for your glute in hip extension that's a misfiring pattern and we can go in and change that but it does take a little bit of time it does take work and that's kind of like what square one looks like um a lot of where we a lot of what we do drives from the glute and from the hip flexor and seeing how those two interact with one another if there's a great connection there's great balance, there's great strength within the hip. Awesome. More than often, that's not the case. Low back is taking over in today's society, unfortunately. And then for most males, actually, from what I've seen, low back tends to get into hip extension a little bit more. Females, it's a little bit more hamstring because they typically wear a lot of flip-flops more often. And if you pull that toe up, that uh, hamstring tends to get a little tighter. And I know you've been talking about the bare feet training yes. a lot lately. So, uh, so when did you kind of get on this kick and just kind of talk to us about that? When I was in North Dakota, I, um, 
I don't know when it exactly like dawned on me that I kind of wanted to do this. I just started doing it one day. I started a nine month series of lifting barefoot, lifting and running barefoot. We have, we had an outdoor turf that we would run sprints on and it just felt really, really good. Um, I think it was stemming from, I had a little bit of plantar fasciitis and I wanted to get rid of it. So I got rid of my shoes and cause I'm not a, I'm not a sneakerhead as much as I did play basketball as a kid. I am not a sneakerhead in the slightest bit. But I did, I front squatted, back squatted, deadlifted, split squat, all that stuff. I even cleaned the snatch every now and then too. Barefoot, just to see it, see how it worked. Ankles got stronger, mobility got stronger. The arch of the foot got stronger, which was the biggest thing that I think made the difference. And then I started doing a little bit more research with that foot arch, the Achilles tendon, and the flexion extension of the big toe and rotation of the big toe and that is i think where true athleticism can lie and mostly be hindered because if something is wrong with the foot up the chain the knee starts to have issues the hip starts to have issues the opposite side shoulder have issues i talk to people that have like a foot injury their opposite shoulder elbow or wrist chances are is acting up a little bit or will act up Kind of weird in that sense, but that's how the body works. It works in that um, lateral sling. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I know um, just from going to physical therapy uh, for my wrist, a lot of times we talk about like it's all up the chain, like mm-hmm. it's elbow, shoulder. Like, what can we do to strengthen that, get the mobility better in that sense? And then the wrist is kind of a non issue. Mm-hmm. If you talk to any like actual physical therapist and they don't, if they, you're asking them about like a pain in the wrist and they go straight to the wrist, I'm gonna be like, wait, what, hold on. Like, let's look elsewhere first. Yeah, let's find out where that pain is and then find out where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. Cause that, if you could find where it's coming from, you can help solve the pain instead of just mitigate it from this, from there, cause then it'll come back. Yeah. That's how I kind of judge, that's how I kind of judge a physical therapist or a chiropractor. For example, I worked with a chiropractor at Lifetime very, very good, gave homework to people so that his goal was to not have to see them on a reoccurring basis. Um, there are some chiropractors who just crack necks, crack feet, crack backs. It's like, all right, see you in two weeks. Like, okay, what can I do to stop this pain from happening uh, so that way we can live a better life? But Okay, so, so you're, you're doing front squats, deadlifts, everything barefoot. Are mm-hmm. you getting outside and walking and like getting in soil, stuff like that? In soil, not so much. It's uh, simply because it was North Dakota, so at times it was kind of cold. But we we did have an indoor facility uh, that had a turf field. Uh, we had an outdoor turf field that we would run sprints on, that we would do um, tumbling on, that we would do cartwheels, rolling, everything like that. We would take a sled out there and do some prowler pushes. Uh, all barefoot and my feet got really really sore really sore but that was kind of the name of the game we would do med ball throws and everything along those lines as well and it worked out really well so much so the fact that I stopped wearing I had a set of Nike Ramaleos whenever I would like squat and dead or squat and, and Olympic lift after that nine months I never put them on again I didn't need them. Like, from an ankle mobility standpoint, I had it. So, I actually just gave them away to Joe, uh, his one okay. client. Yeah, I saw, like, the 12 or 13-year-old kid. Yeah, I, those I, orange I, ones are mine. You, you know they're, like, you could probably sell them for, like, 300 bucks nah. on eBay. <laughs> nah. give, them to, give them to someone who needs them. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting, though, because... Uh, you know, weightlifting, the first thing you're taught is, like, you need to buy a pair of shoes. Oh, 100%. And they definitely help. Definitely. I'm not taking that away. Um, I just, I didn't want to have to rely on them. I didn't want to, I didn't want to need, I didn't want to treat them like a crutch when I didn't need them. Um, not that they're bad. I just, I'm a minimalistic type of guy. So having them, to me at the time, felt like I was having to rely on something to get my work done. I didn't want to do that. So, so were you having clients do barefoot training too? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 
um, most recently too, um, just because I've started to re I've started to re get into some of the aspects of the foot that I maybe like forgot or didn't um, or di- haven't done in a while. So my big thing now is foot pressure. So as my clients are deadlifting and specifically when they're split squatting, how their foot moves or doesn't move as they're going through full ranges of motion matters to me a lot. So this next month is titled like foot pressure October. So we're really diving into how can we structure the foot and the arch itself so that we're not caving in, we're not uh, collapsing out, the heel's not coming up, the toes aren't coming up. How are we applying force through the entire foot so that way we can strengthen that foot, help alleviate a little bit of knee pain or hip, 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 hip pain up the chain. Okay, I wanna get into breath work too, but I gotta ask, like at Lifetime, do your colleagues, other personal trainers, are they like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like barefoot training, breath work, all this stuff that, you know, if you go to a personal training course, you're not going to learn. At times, yeah. I I always consider myself very lucky that I had 10 years of experience in the strength and conditioning world. I got to work with some pretty awesome people um, in like a biomechanics lab and learn from some really cool um, just people in different conferences across the nation, different states that helped make me who I am. Um, one of those people, one of those very influential people for me is Cal Dietz at the University of Minnesota, um, who certified me in RPR and basically gave me the knowledge of learning how to quantify breath. Now, he, he gave me some like resources and everything, but if we can quantify how we're breathing, we can get a lot of things better from a sense of being more resilient when it comes to our immune system. Because if we can breathe better, chances are we're not going to take in as many uh, COVID particles day in and day out as people would think. Uh, and that starts the nasal breathing. The nose was created to breathe. The mouth. Now, great, you do, you can breathe through your mouth depending on the intensity. It's how the body absorbs oxygen when it's needed. If you're doing a 40 minute easy jog through Westchester here, like you're probably going to want to try to go all nasal breathing. It's better for you, oxygenate your blood a little bit more efficiently. Um, it, will start your recovery process. It's calming. Um, that's kind of how you want to feel when you go to bed as well. But if you're hitting the echo bike for 50 calories, you're going to be sucking some air through that mouth of yours, but it's a different gear. It's like shifting gears in a car. You need a different gear shift when you're breathing to do different forms of work. Okay. Yeah. And the, the one thing I really struggle with, um, as far as nasal breathing, I get almost tired if i'm just if i'm like going for a walk i'll try to nasal breathe and i'll be i'll be fine and then i just need that like i need that or Mm -hmm. i feel like i can't breathe anymore it's it's challenging in the sense that it's almost too it almost makes casual work too hard if you're not used to it um it takes a while. I'm the I'm the weirdo that like taped his mouth closed whenever he falls asleep. Uh, I did that for about three months, and I only woke up in the middle of the night once from it. Um, but I know I've had. Wait, what happened with waking up in the middle of the night? Like, could you breathe? No, I don't remember exactly what ex- what. I, either I had a dream about something, and I was like, my heart was going, but I like woke up. And I was like, <laughs> but um. I must have been running in my dream or something. No, I don't run. That's not right. Um, I don't know what it, what it was, but there was only one time where I actually like fell or woke up in the middle of the night and I was like panting and I needed to take the tape off of my mouth to like actually get in air. I don't, I don't know what it was because uh, I fell asleep right after it. But I would do that and right from the beginning when I started doing that, I would dream better. I would like remember my dreams. They would be a little bit more vivid. Um, 
I was waking up not as groggy. I was falling asleep easier. I was functioning throughout my day without my third cup of coffee. Um, it was it, it was almost a lifestyle change. Uh, for me, it was really good in that sense. I enjoyed it. And I've gotten to a point where I just practiced it over and over and over again. So now it's almost commonplace for me even when I'm when I'm coaching I'm sitting there like I'm just like used to it now uh but there are definitely times where I feel like I'm mouth breathing here and there um mainly because the allergy season I, I'd suck with allergies uh we just I, my wife and I were just at a wedding out in Landonsburg and I have no idea where that was uh it was for Ty and Page. I don't know if you know them uh but my allergies were just insane. Couldn't breathe out of my nose. Sucked. So you just go back to go back to breathing out of your mouth then? Yeah. You kind of have to. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that passes then soon. But then, well, as, a, as kids, we're not, once we get sick, no one tells you when you're done getting sick, okay, breathe out of your nose again. Like That's how, like, that gets thrown off. And you can't as a kid you don't know any better no one teaches you how to nasal breathe as a kid you just do it like you watch animals fall asleep they're not really falling asleep like this mouth open tongue out they're not breathing out of the mouth they're they're calm they're breathing through their noses like they they do it right yeah and i wonder if that just has to do with being in the wild and if you're sitting there like that then you're probably going to get attacked probably huh have you ever done uh, any Wim Hof breathing? I haven't. I've heard amazing things, but I have not done it. Highly, um, highly recommend. I've heard. I just, I haven't gotten around to it. That That's more hypoxic breathing, correct? Is that kind of how he ter- terms it? I forget um, exactly. I'm not sure what the term is. Basically, what it is, is when... We did it. I think we did seven rounds. It was a. It, we went to like a Wim Hof seminar, okay. so it was like super long. We probably did forty-five minutes straight of breath work. But normal is three to five rounds where you're just taking thirty to fifty deep breaths, and it doesn't have to be through the nose or through the mouth. It's just you're breathing mm-hmm. thirty to fifty times, and then you're just taking one inhale, and then you're holding for as long as you can. So. Usually in the beginning, if you don't have any experience, it might be 60 seconds, 90 seconds. But towards the end of it, you can get two, three, sometimes five minutes of just holding your breath. And the state is crazy. Like Wim Hof talks about getting high on your own supply. You feel your arms tingling, your hands are tingling. You're in a completely different sense. Like your, your state is just euphoric. And it's like you can do this from breathing, focusing on your breath. Well, it was cool when I was working with that soccer team in North Dakota. I would implement a couple different things from um, The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCowan. Uh, that's a pretty good book if anyone wants some very easy-to-understand education on breathwork. And a lot of his stuff is based on um, how long can you hold your breath without air. So big inhale through the nose big exhale get everything out and then hold your breath for as long as you can or as long as the body can um and at first i think i held my breath for like maybe 12 seconds i was like oh cool that sounds pretty good and it's like if you're below 20 seconds you suck but (laughs) um by the time i got pretty good i was up to like 29 i was like okay i've gotten better i've gotten a lot better um, I was sleeping better as well. So, and my life just, things were feeling better day, day in and day out. Um, resting heart rate was lower too, which was the biggest thing for me. I think my lowest resting heart rate, I got it down to 44 at one point. I was really proud of that. Um, and, but then I started doing it with a couple athletes as well. We would do some training. Uh, we would do some like, a, uh, contralateral aerobic circuits with our mouth taped shut, making them breathe out of their nose. Uh, capillary densities blew up, oxygenation blew up, a lot of blood flow all around the body. Um, recovery times were increasing, low, uh, resting heart rates were lowering, practices were getting better. I was like, 
yay, things are going in the right direction. If, if coach says practices are getting better, cool. I'm trending in the right way. Yeah, you're doing your job. Yeah. Yeah, it's like all all these things, man. Like you can you can really go deep on training barefoot. You can go really deep on doing breath work and getting really serious with that stuff. Yeah, it's it's those intricacies that make my role as a human performance coach really really cool. But also at the end of the day, they still like people still have to move. People still have to um, push through a little bit of external force. So the deadlift the squat, the step up, held the bicep curl. Those are all still really cool things to do. Yeah. And those are those are the prerequisites that we're moving, we're running, we're lifting. Those are the things you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then when you master those basics, that's when it's like, all right, let's do this with our with mm-hmm. our mouth taped. Oh yeah. Or let's uh, let's take the shoes off. Yeah. Well, my my 76-year-old client, she found out that I would tape my athlete's mouth shut. Uh, for some of their training, she looked at me. She's like, "You're not going to do that to me, are you?" I was like, "Not unless you ask, or not unless you make me want to tape your mouth shut." <laughs> I was like, "No, don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. That's not, awesome. not at 76." So, do you do you enjoy working with the general population as much as you did with athletes? I do. It's it's definitely a lot different. Do I miss the college athletic world? A hundred percent. Some of a lot of my great relationships with my athletes. Um, from North Dakota, from St. Francis, from Loyola, from Penn State. Like, I still talk to a good bit of them. Um, still have amazing relationships. There were a couple soccer girls from UND that actually came to my wedding. Uh, and that was un- an unreal just thing to realize that I could make that big of an impact on them. But now, like, working with the people that I work with at Lifetime who – whether it's a couple 76 years old, a uh, couple people. I have one guy that has gone through a couple strokes and can't, couldn't stand still and close his eyes without losing his balance. Now he's closing his eyes, holding one foot, like off on one foot. Um, then I have a couple high school athletes. Just it, It's cool to diversify your training because like, you can get, a lot of people stronger and just looking better like that. I think that's the easy stuff to do, but to help them live a more efficient lifestyle of what they wanted, what they want to do is something that's takes a lot of work and a lot of skill. Is that something where when people are coming in, you're saying like, this isn't, this isn't a three month process. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're training essentially for the next 20, 30 years. And it might not be with you. You you don't always want people to rely on needing a personal trainer, but is that something that's in the conversation? Like, Hey, we're, we're going to take this slow and this is going to be something that's the long haul. Yeah. If so, let's say someone comes to me and like they have a deadline of just losing weight. Probably I'm probably going to I'm probably going to refer them to another personal trainer I work with. Um, I'm in a position now that I can be a little picky with who I choose to work with now, as opposed to just working with any client at any point. Um, and I, I've built my business up in that into that point, which is pretty cool, actually. It's comforting, is what it is, financially. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely more. Once I meet them, I talk to them about kind of what they are looking for uh, based on what their goals are, based on what I see, depending on how long that's going to take. A rough estimate, especially if they are inconsistent, if they're only doing once a week type of training, it's going to take a lot longer than five times a week. But that's at their discretion. Yeah. So what's your own training look like? What are you doing? And, and and I bet it's hard with the strength and conditioning background. Like for you to go to another person, like is it hard for you to trust them? No, not at all, actually. Um, I've learned over the years that it's very hard for me to program for myself uh, because I'm more likely to change what I program for myself 
than if someone else were to program for me. If someone else were to program for me, I'd be like, okay, they took the time to learn what my strengths and weaknesses are. Um, so I'm going to honor their program by doing it. Whereas if I program for myself, it's like, ah, eh, I won't do that that day. I'll push it off and then I never will do it. Uh, so I love the fact that I can go to, um, right. I pay for external programming, um, and that I like dive into it and do it as far as my own training right now. Um, my wife introduced me to CrossFit a couple years ago and I kind of bit that bug a little bit, drank that, drank that juice. Uh, and it's been fun. It's honestly, it's a skill thing for me, especially with the gymnastics um, that I really thought I would have less fun with, but I have a lot of fun doing it. It's just when you learn something new like that, like muscle ups or handstand walking and you fail and fail and fail, all you want to do is get good at that because they're fun. And I was telling them the other day, or I was telling my wife the other day, Handstand walking is just fun. It's a cool party trick. Yes. It's so much fun. 100%. And, like, I, I think it'd be super cool to just to be able to walk the entire length of my gym. Like, that's just a goal of mine. I have three months to do it now. Um, it's hard because of the blood rushes to your head. But other than that, it's a blast. And I think learning a new skill every single year, I think, is just a good goal for any athlete to have um so example i am a i snowboard ever since high school i snowboarded this upcoming winter i want to try skiing i never i've skied once and it's not that i was bad at it i just like snowboarding better now i think skiing might be a little bit better for me long term so i want to do it now while i'm still capable of doing it so that I don't have to learn it at a later age. So so are you competitive as far as CrossFit goes? Do you want to compete? Do any local competitions or anything? Local competitions, yeah. It gives me something to work for. We have one coming up actually in November that we're signed up for, a couple of buddies of mine. Um, never could I ever do an individual competition like that. I have to be on a team uh, simply because Tra training by myself is now very hard. Like it's very difficult for me to come in and either see a workout on a board or even like going through a snatch cycle or a squat cycle, deadlift cycle by myself. I very much enjoy the camaraderie of being around people. I think it's because I missed it as a kid when I was growing up. I was an only child. So I always wanted to hang out with my friends because I didn't have anything else at home. I didn't have a brother or sister to annoy. Um, but being around the people I am at my gym or at work, so much fun. Or my wife, obviously. Let's not forget her. Sorry, Mags. That's funny, though, because I'm an only child as well. Mm -hmm. And I've went towards the introvert path where I'm yeah. like 100% fine being by myself. I, don't get me wrong. Like, I used to live like that all the time. Um, I just, as of late and as recently, um, it's just changed, but shit changes. Yeah. That's cool though, that you're at the point where, you know, you're doing it yeah, and you'll do a local competition and it'll be fun. I'm sure you'll push yourself, but like the results don't really matter. Not at all. Not at all. It's to me, it just gives me, a, it gives me a date to, train for as a as like okay like this is a good measurement for me instead of uh just day in and day out just doing a workout like this gives me a little bit of a measurement it's like okay this felt good that day this didn't feel good this day like hopefully it feels good on competition day um but that's what <coughs> excuse me that's what crossfit has given me as well it's given me an outlet to test different abilities of mine um that's why i i thought crossfit was stupid at first i really did so did I. I had a shirt that said crossfit sucks yeah there you go <laughs> um but it was such the sport quote sport was uh so underdeveloped at the time now with the sophistication of movement motor control with the sophistication of coaches um and coaches learning and adapting communication um 
it really has turned into it's not a joke anymore it's like people aren't people aren't throwing up anymore during like crossfit workouts because they all kind of taste they've all tasted high intensity at some point so it was a joke at first because it was just a bunch of workouts thrown together with no rhyme reason purpose or anything like that like now coaches are starting to or have started to piece together brilliant workouts that test different aspects of conditioning, skill, strength, and putting them all together to create a great and cool athlete. Like what's better than watching a lot of people lift heavy shit and then test the human body, run, sprint, swim, um, paddleboard, like, some of the things that you see these people doing these nowadays are just unreal. We used to think a four-minute mile was impossible. People break that every year now. Now people are breaking like a 500-pound deadlift. You lift 500 pounds and then or 600. I forget what Maliola did. Um, and they just ran a sub-five-minute mile. These things that people we thought were impossible, people are doing. That's so cool. Yeah. The human body is insane. And it's almost like it's morphed into the methodology instead of people who get the weekend level one and just start coaching people. Yeah. Now, like, especially, um, I know you go to Explode, but like CrossFit KOP around us, mm-hmm. uh, CrossFit Westchester, you have these trainers who have been doing it for 10 years, like, and they're working with the highest level of people in fitness. And I think like the CSCS used to be like the gold standard Mm -hmm. but there are people who come out of crossfit who have no degrees people like max who have just done a shit ton of research and gotten really good at at finding out stuff for themselves instead of being like oh i'm not going to spend four or five six years in school to learn this well there's no there's no real coaching degrees from a from a strength perspective like you get you get um like my one of my degrees is in kinesiology which is just movement science that doesn't necessarily train you to be a good coach that just helps you look at biomechanics and motor control like you can see what looks good from a movement perspective for like sprinting and lifting but it doesn't tell you how to that degree doesn't exactly ensure that i'm going to be able to communicate that well to someone especially when different people learn in different styles which is where my psychology degree comes into play um and then by no means that I get into kinesiology and psychology to be a coach. It just happened to work out that that's what I'm good at. That's what I think I'm good at. Um, it's, it, life's funny in that way. Yeah, 100%. Well, I feel like you have a lot of work to be done. I mean, as a society, like we need health. We need personal trainers. We need people who are working with nutrition. It's all... It's all super important, especially right now. We just need people to move more. Like, just get off your asses and move. Like, there's a reason why this nation is so obese, and it's frustrating. And we said it. We said it ourselves before we started recording. Like, seeing the person that's 350 pounds is commonplace now, instead of walking into a Denny's some morning uh, on a random Saturday. And seeing that guy in the corner who's stuffing three Grand Slam breakfasts in the mouth, that's the biggest person I've ever seen. Like, no, that happens on a regular basis now. You walk into any grocery store, walk into a Walmart, you see at least six people that are over 350 pounds. Yeah. That's scary, man. It's frustrating. It's scary. But in the sense, there's stuff that can be done. Yeah. Like, there's there, seek out a personal trainer. Seek out somebody who who knows what they're talking about with nutrition. And it's like all this stuff is reversible. That's mm-hmm. a cool thing. Like start listening to podcasts, start getting into reading books, like how to eat, move and be healthy and learning about mindset. Like all this stuff, all the tools are yeah. there. And you can do all this shit from your home, your apartment, your house. Like you can do all this stuff there. You just gotta like, at times you just gotta suck it up and do it. Yeah. Like you know, it's going to, like you know the Big Mac you're going to stuff down your face is bad for you. You know smoking is bad for you. I don't understand how that's still so regular. I just, every time I go into my car and I just drive down the highway or I drive down uh, Route 100, Pustown Pike, um, I'll smell smoke from another car. It's like how do people not realize what they're doing? But We do. 
I, I mean, we know. <laughs> yeah. Like, you subconsciously know what the right choice is. It's just usually the hard part is actually making that right choice. But it's so simple, though. It's so it's simple. so simple. It is. It but, is, man. I think uh, I think we'll leave it there. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or even just follow on Instagram? Uh, my Instagram is Sean Fantuzzi, uh, S-E-A-N-F-A-N, the number two, the letter Z. And then if you go to, life, I think it's lifetime.life um, and search for King of Prussia, you will eventually find yourself to my trainer bio where you can email me, schedule an appointment with me if you want to, uh, or you can just DM me on Instagram and go from there. Cool, man. I'm simple. And my Twitter, obviously. Yeah, your Twitter is good. I'll link that in the show notes. I always just, I always retweet good, good shit. Like that's, I, like I said, I don't have an original thought. I just copy what other people say and try to make it sound my way. Yeah, put that into your life philosophy. Exactly. I mean, if we do that, we're in a pretty good spot. I do eventually want to write a book. Um, I think that'd be kind of cool. Uh, I got this idea from Twitter, actually. on uh, Just talk, it's actually kind of, Tim Ferriss, like talking to the coolest people in the world, I which the people that I know are the coolest people. Um, but having one like quote from them or one bit of advice. So like the other day I, I asked a guy who I thought would, would be able to give me some really cool advice. And he said, the key to a long lasting marriage is to always kiss your significant other goodnight. No matter how angry you are at another each other, like there are going to be fights that you think end the relationship no matter what it could very well be the last time you kiss each other like kiss them good night it's like cool that's awesome like i will forever remember that and then i want to put that kind of stuff into a book i think it'd be fun yeah that'd be really cool yeah love that man thanks once again, thanks so much to Sean for joining me on the show. I really appreciated that conversation with him. If you guys want to give him a follow, both his Instagram and Twitter will be linked right in the show notes. And if you guys want to follow me, it's at Better Than Yesterday Pod. I do have a couple asks for you this week. If you enjoyed this one, just make sure to share it out on your Instagram story. And also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just leave a five-star rating and a quick review. Haven't got a review in quite a long time. So those go a long way, helping people... Um, who might be on the fence about listening to the podcast. If there's some good reviews on there, hopefully it will bring in some new listeners. So thank you guys so much for the support. I appreciate you tuning in, and I look forward to talking to you on the next one.